your company is not a for-profit company. It's a non-profit mm-hmm. company. So how does that work? Not well. <laughs> Here we not, go. Not well without some philanthropy, I'll tell you. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Renee McGinnis of NVNA Hospice right here on the South Shore. She is the CEO of Norwell NVNA Hospice. Welcome to the show, Renee. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Mark. Can you help our listeners understand what an NVNA is? I can. Yes. So we are a Noel Visiting Nurse Association from back 100 years ago when um, VNAs were not really VNAs, but public health. Every town had their public health nurse and physician, and they visited patients in their home, right? So fast forward to when uh, Medicare started to reimburse and, and organizations became certified by Medicare and the federal government, and um, the business grew. And so we do home health, which is If you think about people having surgery, a knee or a hip replacement, they go home, they need some nursing, some physical therapy, some occupational therapy, then out they go in two weeks to outpatient therapy. To someone having surgery and needing IV antibiotics at home or wound care at home or just, you know, maybe some frail elders who need um, support with strengthening and fall risk and prevention at home. We also have a palliative program that's very robust, and we are really the only ones in the South region doing what we call primary palliative care in the home. So there are hospital palliative care programs, but we are seeing patients in the home, nurse practitioners doing consults and so on. We can maybe, if you want to, get into a little bit more what palliative care means, but uh, it, it's a concept that people always ask, what does that mean? Yes. Um So, um, and then we provide hospice services as well, right? So end of life care, hospice, um, something that um, has a a stigma that we're trying to dispel in terms of what's the value and what a rich benefit it is for people and families and patients. Um, So we have the whole continuum of care from when you're discharged from the hospital and you need services in the home. Um, And as you know, Everyone wants to remain in their home, right? No one really wants to be in the hospital. And we um, heal and mend so much better in the home, less infection, family around, support. And so home health is expanding and growing, um, in particular with the baby boomers aging and staying home. So So the hospice care is also in-home? Hospice care is either in-home or we do have a hospice house in Hingham, the Pat Roach hospice home, which is a 12-bed residential hospice home for patients who it's not always possible for them to pass at home or it's difficult for family. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big responsibility to care for someone um, at end of life. And so um, people will opt to go into the hospice home where they have 24-7 nursing care, home health aides, and the family can truly just be the family. 
So awesome. So let me do, let me do that. Let me rewind. What is palliative care? So palliative care, I'm not going to give you the formal definition, but how I can explain it so that um, you can understand why it's a very, very robust, nice benefit to have. Um, And then I'll explain why we're probably the only ones doing it in the region um, is when you think about chronic disease and you think about people living with chronic disease, which could be anywhere from you know, end stage congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or other diseases. Um, it could be cancer and you're seeking treatment um, and you want to live your life to the best quality you can, right? So we are there to support you and meet your goals of care. So we identify what are your goals of care? What's important to you? And how can we help you stay out of the hospital? You don't want frequently to be going in for exacerbations of your disease. We help you with symptom management, support, education, um, and work really closely with your care team, meeting your physicians and um, all the physicians that you may have caring for you and teaching the family. So it's a great, it's really something that I think in the future will be reimbursed. It's not really reimbursed well at this point in time. Mm. And you have nurse practitioners, you have, um, rightly so, people who can, you know, get a salary that is um, what they should be getting, right? Um, But difficult for us because of the reimbursement model. But we are committed to that. We really are committed to that mission. And my board of directors is very committed. I believe it is the way of the future to support patients staying out of the hospital, which in fact, saves healthcare dollars. So at some point, this is all going to, all the data is going to show that, but right now it's a little bit of a struggle. So, um, we do raise money for, um, for palliative care and also for our hospice home, uh, because the room and board for a residential home is not covered by insurance. The clinical care is covered for your hospice care, but not the room and board. So that's $500 a day, which is what a nursing home or possibly a hotel is, right? right. Um, and so, and, and many people can't afford that care. So we do also have, no one's turned away for financial reasons. Well, that so that's interesting. So your company is not a for-profit company. It's a non-profit mm-hmm. company. So how does that work? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> Here we not, go. Not well without some philanthropy, I'll tell you. Um, it is so we're nonprofit independent, meaning we're not part of a larger health system, right? Yeah. So our lines of business are our lines of business. So there's not another line of business that we can take from robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? So um the reimbursement is tough. And Medicare is about 65% of our payer for revenue. Okay. And the other is um commercial payers or Medicare Advantage plans, meaning if if you don't know what Medicare Advantage plans, those are, you know, over 65, um, the Medicare has um, different plans through United Healthcare or Tufts plan or Blue Cross. So that is a Medicare Advantage plan, but they pay like the commercial payers, which is about 50% below our direct costs, believe it or not. So that's really tough. With Medicare, they have a model that Um, the payment structure is a capitated model. So it's, you know, you have some people who are really sick that may cost you a lot more than people that aren't as sick. So there's a pool of money 
And if you manage it correctly, you can have a, not a great margin, but a somewhat break-even margin. Wow. So yeah. uh, as CEO, how, how do you do it in this current environment? Oh man, it's tough. It, it's tough. And they are actually, I'll tell you what we do. Um, they are actually, um, there's another cut we should find out today, actually, Halloween, um, coming to the home health program in Medicare, but National Association of Home Care and a lot of senators actually and congressmen have, have been pushing for no cut because what's going to happen is you're going to have more and more agencies closing and then what's happening to access to care, right, for patients. So if the access to care is not there already with the challenge workforce and everybody not being able to, you know, capture good talent um, or nurses and home health aides to care for the patients, um, if the reimbursement isn't there and you have more agencies closing, there's going to be closing, there's going to be less access to care, which means the patients will in turn be in the ER, be in the ICU, which is not where people want to be. And it's the highest cost for healthcare. So that's, that's what we're um, pushing from an advocacy perspective with Medicare to not cut us again in 2024. So w- we should be finding out sometime today by the end of the day, wow. what the final rule is that comes out of Medicare at this time to tell us what our cut's going to be, if, if anything. Wow. So are there any private payers? So the private pay, meaning people paying out of pocket? Yeah. Well, the only private pay is we have a small private pay division for, you know, if you want extra help for your loved one and you privately pay for like five or six hours for them to come in and help with meals and even showering and so on and so forth. That's the only private pay piece. The rest of it is insurance reimbursed. And you know, it is the benefit that people have, but it's a struggle for organizations to survive with the commercial payment structure, which has never been um, truly negotiated well from the beginning, from 40 years ago. So now you're going to say to Blue Cross, oh, we don't want a 2% increase. We need like a 40% increase. So it's, it's a, it's a broken system in terms of the reimbursement as well. Um, and it's just, it's going to have to shift at some point, but it sometimes unfortunately takes a crisis and poor access to care for that to happen. We have to hit rock bottom. So when you talk about the commercial payer, you're talking about the Blue Cross, the Tufts, mm-hmm. the insurance companies, mm-hmm. and then there's the layer of Medicare, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Okay. And Medicaid, and- which is um, a percentage of everybody's business as well, the Medicaid population. Um, and Medicaid is not a great reimburser either. So, and it's challenging now, Mark, because it's always been challenging, but it's more challenging now because we have to stay competitive with wages, salaries, benefits, and, um, it's a competitive market in healthcare. And you're competing also with the hospitals in Boston and their wages, you know, we just can't touch. And in home health has always traditionally paid somewhat less than hospital uh, employees. Uh, 
due to the fact that it was, you know, considered more flexible and you can stay in your community, you're not commuting. And in particular, hospice is really a calling for that type of care. And so, um, but, you know, today it's not someone working part-time to make a little extra money. This is a career for people. And this is the income for sometimes the only income for families. So it's been challenging to be able to stay competitive and with benefits as well, because we're not a huge organization, right? So to secure health benefits for our employees that are competitive is, uh, is tough. So how, so again, I asked the question, how do you do it? If, if you're competing with the market wages for your employees and keeping them happy and keeping a wonderful culture, yet you're only really being paid 50% of what the market should be paying you. Right. Good question. So we've done a lot of skimming down and restructuring. And like I said, for us, philanthropy is the margin that's supporting us while we go through this, what I think will be, and it might take five years, a turnaround to get a reimbursement that is reasonable for nonprofits to just, you know, we just want to break even, right? But we have to pay our staff well, we want to retain our staff, and we want to have competitive benefits. So, um, you know, that's a good question, Mark. And people say, well, how is this sustainable? How is this viable? How is this going to continue? You can't just continue going on this way. Um, you know, we've been very smart about our restructure and our efficiencies. And someone has to take care of the patients, right? So who's it going to be? And there's not enough staff to go around. There's not enough people. There's not enough, in particular, caregivers, home health aides to care for people. So it is going to have to shift. And when you read anything, right, it talks about care in the home. Well, we're going to have hospital at home. We're going to have care in the home. Everything's shifting to the home. All good. All good. And I love technology, but you need people. In particular, when you're, when you're caring for an elder population, a population that has an increasing um, percentage of people with dementia. Mm. you're caring for people that you're caring for people that have families that are working. You need to help, you know, guide them, direct them, educate them. And the cost to have a loved one in assisted living is 10, 11, $12,000 a month. So how many people can afford that? Right. And that's not a benefit. That's not reimbursable. That's all private pay. That's Mm. right. That's right. And not many people have long-term care insurance and that only covers a, you know, you probably know this, but a percentage, right? So not the whole piece. So I think you're, you know, more and more, you're going to see people, um, they're living to be much older, right? And so they're running out of money. So we, we want to keep them in their home. Uh, it's the lowest cost and we're the lowest cost provider, but Yeah. So what's the solution, Renee? Well, here's some of the solutions. I, you know, I think we have to have more advocacy and louder voices and people, the consumer also has to get involved. So we need more consumer education and training to understand where you're headed as you age and 
what we're advocating for. Um, <clears throat> I also think healthcare systems need to work together. Mm. We can't all do everything well. So what do I do well? What do you do well? How do we work together to be able to care for the patient and the community? So I think you have to understand each community is unique, right? We all have unique characteristics in different communities in terms of the demographic, but also the age, um, culturally diverse um, populations that we have in different areas, and how do we meet their needs. But we have to do it together. Uh, we're pretty siloed in healthcare right now. Um, it's gotten worse since the pandemic. And so we have to come together to solve these problems as a unit and not just in a silo. I, I love that. I love collaboration. I love abundancy. But who are that? Who is they? Like who else are we talking about? Right. So when you think about the hospitals, you think about the primary care physicians, yeah. right? And all the other specialty physicians that we work with, the nurse practitioners, um, the physician's assistants, all of us, but also the payer. We got the payers got to be in there. So we yeah. all have to be in this together. And if we're, you know, if we're not part of an accountable care organization unit, um, well, okay, so how can we all work together to get in some cost savings, risk sharing contracts mm. where we all have some upside and downside? And we're all looking at the same. What is the, what is everybody looking at? It is keeping the patient out of the hospital keeping the patient home, patient satisfaction, patient engagement. You talk about like Medicare talks about the triple aim or now it's the quadruple aim because we have to put the employee in there, right? So what's the lowest cost? How do we do it with the best quality of care and the best patient engagement, right? And this is how we're all measured, Mark, in healthcare. We all have star ratings mm -hmm. and you can, it's publicly reported. So you can look it up. Like what are patients saying about you? What, what do your quality scores show? Um, Value-based purchasing. And it's another program that is going across every state. And if we all work together, we can keep the patient out of the hospital, but it's, the problem is there's too much silo and not enough collaboration. Well, how much of it is, reactive versus what ought to be proactive? Oh, good question. <laughs> There's a lot that's reactive, not enough that's proactive. Yeah. There's a lot that's reactive. Our, the, a lot is antiquated, believe it or not. There's a lot of antiquated systems. And I think what I see is the, um, the technology solutions they are proactive. They're thinking progressive. They're thinking proactively, and it's great. But you still need to remember you've got to have some boots on the ground people. Even if you're doing hospital at home, that takes people, takes clinical people to do it. So I think sometimes they're missing the simplest solutions that can support the patient staying home. And that's communication, collaboration, and processes and workflows that can, um, everybody's following. So does that require, I mean, does, is HIPAA getting in the way of that? Like what? No, no, people are getting in the way of that. Got it. This is <laughs> my lane. Well, and also, I don't even know, I think what you said before is like 
reactive putting out fires. Yeah. I don't know that it's it's even that they don't want to. I think it's that no one has really sat down to put the infrastructure in place to make it work, to make it happen. And how does that work? And um, you, I can I could can go on vi- and on about. Well, I want you to. Can you visualize <laughs> it? I mean, does it start with the primary? You know, I can visualize it. I think it's there's two places. Yes, one is the discharge planning process within the hospitals. Um, and it's every hospital, so I'm not naming anybody yeah. at all. Um, is that that process needs to be looked at from start to finish. I was a case manager just eight years ago in a hospital, so I can speak to it. Um, there's changes that need to be made there that could be very, very instrumental. They hold the keys to the kingdom. They are one of your solutions. And, and what so, are they not doing? They're not creating a plan? Um, I think the plan is reactive, not proactive. Mm-hmm. I think the plan is not as you need a certain skill set to do that job. And you have to know your resources and communication is critical not just electronic communication, but also verbal warm handoff communication. Yeah. I think needs to happen. That's missing. So I think if the dish if the admission, as soon as a patient's admitted, you start the discharge plan right then and there. And you communicate and collaborate that all the way through. Um and you do the warm handoff. There's a lot of information that comes across that has to be ferreted out that could be simplified. So I think technology could help with that. Actually, AI could probably help with that piece. Um, And then, yes, the primary care physician who is really, everybody wants to be the hub of the wheel, but how do they have time to do that? Number one, we don't have enough of them. Mm. And they are so pressured to get so many visits in a day And do they have the infrastructure in their offices to be able to make sure this communication and collaboration happens timely so that you get some orders timely from the physician so the patient doesn't end up back in the hospital? And you mentioned the payor being part of it. I mean, it would benefit them if the patient was cared by an organization like yours versus the hospital, right? Right. So they should be part of that, all of that communication and collaboration should be done with the payer also part of that whole piece. So maybe identifying what patients do they have that are in each organization or what are their high-risk patients? How are they stratifying them with data and how are they working with each organization to make that happen? So right now, that's a gap, I think. For sure. Because if um, someone is discharged improperly, they're going to find themselves back in the hospital, right? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I think understanding what a safe discharge is and also understanding from the hospital to home what what we actually do, but also what are the other community partners do? So there's a lot of other partners that we work with in the community that help keep the patient home. One other opportunity, which is not reimbursable, 
is mobile integrated health. And it's a, an incredible, incredible opportunity for everybody, but what it's not that? reimbursed. That is your EMTs, ambulance uh, companies who do have mobile integrated health programs, as does social health, very excellent programs, but not reimbursed. So it could really augment what everybody does and keep the patient out of the hospital. They have the ability to do treatments that we don't have licenses to do, that they are licensed to do. So they would basically be dispatched to yep. handle something, but yep. they're not being reimbursed for that? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So you had suggested that we become loud voices. Who who are we? Who are we calling out to? Anybody you can, anybody that can get to people in Washington. It's Washington, huh? So it's Medicare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it's Washington. The... Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. And also it's, it's, you know, all the payers, which understand they're in Washington too. So they're all there. Uh, the private, the commercial payers, excuse me, um, who, you know, are doing a good job. But I know they all have their own budgets, right? So they yeah. all have, so they are being, their dollars are being stretched in so many different ways. Um, I think when you look at home health and hospice, it's the tiniest little piece of the overall budget for the government, right? So the and bigger yet, budget, right? Yeah. And yet it could do so much and have so much impact. It so could as, be such as, a solution. As CEO, again, I, I stress on this, you know, you're oftentimes on an island. How are you keeping the culture so positive in your organization? Because I hear wonderful things about your organization. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think you know, I have a great team. You mm-hmm. never do it alone, right? So yeah. your your leadership team, I um am committed to, you know, I'm a nurse too, and I've been a home care nurse and I've done every job here um along the way. And the previous CEO was committed to that too. Uh, committed to the community, committed to quality of care and education and training for our staff. So we've continued that. And part of that is, once again, we have some very generous donors for education and training. So we're able to provide more to our staff um, than other organizations. And they absolutely love that about this organization. They know we're committed to them. Um, We really focus on work-life balance. It's not easy. It's not an easy job. And so I can't change the fact that it's not an easy job when you go see your patients. Um, You're working really hard and you take it home with you and you do get attached to people. So, but we try to do what we can to make their day the best it can be. Um, And like I said, my team, I have an amazing team that we all are committed to the same thing. So well, it's a, that's a good segue for my next question, which is somebody's worked with you, a family's worked with you, and they've had an amazing experience with you, mm-hmm. and they want to write a testimonial for you. Mm-hmm. What does that sound like? Yeah, I have one. You have one? Yes. I love it. I have many, but I have one that I love because I read this actually. At, we read this at, or I read it at our employee event because we just had an employee event and um, 
I read this so that they would understand how appreciated they are by um, families and patients. So this is a grateful family member that his um, spouse was on our hospice care. And he, um, here's what he said. He said, I watched your organization through my human resources trained and experienced, albeit tired eyes. And I can say categorically and unequivocally that as an organization, you function at the highest level of efficiency in providing your customer, including their families, the highest level of care mixed with an abundance of compassion. It is a thing of beauty, certainly not for the faint of heart. No, much to the contrary. You have the hearts of lions and dispositions of mourning doves, and you should all be extremely proud of the meaningful work you do and how you do it. I know I am. I also appreciated the teamwork I observed. Regardless of position or title, when care needed to be administered, jurisdictional lines became blurred. Everyone assisted everyone else to achieve the common goal. Again, a thing of beauty. This is a sign of a highly effective organization, and you should all be proud of how you work seamlessly together to provide care when it is needed the most. You are all angels. So that really is the best. It says it all. It, it says, says it all. <laughs> That's amazing. And yeah, and it starts with from the top. It starts with leadership. And you know, you're doing an amazing job over there. And, and I have a very committed board of directors. They are so committed to the mission and what we're doing. And even though palliative care is not reimbursed, they're committed to helping me advocate for that and supporting us to continue the program, you know? So um, that that's huge when you're a nonprofit and you, you need your board of directors to be supportive. That's awesome. And, and you know, it's, it's so upsetting sometimes when government doesn't see the common sense and things. So folks, if you're listening, and you have connections. Let's let's get people talking about home health care and hospice and Medicare uh, reimbursables. Yes, so, Renee, you. I can't let you off the hook without the question that all of our faithful listeners are are waiting to hear. And uh, w- one of the things, as a CEO, you 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 scare yourself every day. You push yourself <laughs> outside the comfort zone. I know you're speaking to a large organization tomorrow, and I, I appreciate you spending the time with me tonight. Um, but one of the things we really enjoy for scaring yourself or pushing yourself outside the comfort zone is, is karaoke. Mm-hmm. And at some point in time, we're going to get all of our guests together and we're going to have an event and we're going to do some networking within the group. And in the center of it all is going to be karaoke. <laughs> I love it. So Renee, you're <laughs> next up on the mic. What are you singing? Oh my God. Okay. So I secretly would love to be able to sing and I can't, <laughs> I'm so bad. And so, you know, you're in your car and you're, you're pretending, right. That you are that person and you're singing. So I love Alicia Keys. Um, if I ain't got you, I love that. I have to say, I love cruising too. So the, the duet, who would I do the duet with? I don't know. But anyway, those two songs, I just, I yeah, I pretend I'm that person. I love it. Well, <laughs> if you practice, it makes it perfect. Just start oh from the saw, God. head out there, and, and give it a go. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. <laughs> you <Mark>. sure? <laughs> Alicia Keys. That's a big one to to go for. Why not go big or go home? Right. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. 
So the most important question of them all is uh, somebody wants to get in touch with you. How would they find you? Yeah. Well, our website, yeah. nvna.org. And also, um, I am happy. I am one of my favorite things to do is to talk with people about what we do and help them navigate what we do. Um, so if anyone has any questions for me as well, um, my email, which is rmcginnis at nvna.org, M-C-I-N-N-E-S. And our phone number here at NVNA is 781-659-2342. And just follow the prompts. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for all of what you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. It was lovely to talk with you. And I look forward to karaoke night. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so folks, this has been another exciting episode of Elements of Styles. If you learned something, if you thought about somebody, share it with them. And please, pretty please, call Washington and help us out with this Medicare thing. Thank you and have a great week, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.